0: Whoa!
1: Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. Many of you probably remember the story of Jonah from the Bible. Most of the time when we hear this story, we probably associate that part of the story where he gets swallowed up by the whale and is in the belly of the whale for three days and he emerges. That, of course, is a metaphor, allegory, foreshadowing for Christ's resurrection. But there's another aspect of this brief story of the prophet Jonah That I think is very, very timely and relevant for our times. That is the Ninevite fast. I'm going to read from chapter three of the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, set out for the great city of Nineveh, and announced to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah made ready and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's bidding. Now Nineveh was an enormously large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began his journey through the city and had gone but a single day's walk, announcing forty days more and Nineveh will be destroyed. When the people of Nineveh believed God, they proclaimed a fast and all of them, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the ashes. Then he had this proclaimed throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles. Neither man nor beast, neither cattle nor sheep shall taste anything. They shall not eat, nor shall they drink water. Man and beast shall be covered with sackcloth, and call loudly to God, every man shall turn from his evil way and from the violence he has in hand. Who knows? God may relent and forgive and withhold his blazing wrath so that they will not perish. When God saw by their actions how they turned from their evil way, he repented of the evil that he had threatened to do to them. He did not carry it out. Again, this is chapter 3 of the book of Jonah. Nineveh might just mean to us a biblical city, but actually it's very relevant to today. Nineveh, that area, today is where we hear a lot of tragedy, a lot of tragedy especially for Christians, Christians of Iraq. We're privileged today to have someone who knows a lot about this, a good friend of us here at Light of the East. We welcome Juliana Tamarazi from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. Welcome, Juliana.
2: Thank you, Father Tom, and thank you for that fantastic opening.
1: So is familiar to you. Tell us about why Nineveh is relevant today. I'm a
2: child of Nineveh myself. Um, My fellow Ninevites are being killed today. It's nothing new to us, really. It has been happening since the rise of Islam. Uh, Prior to 1800s, since the rise of Islam, we were persecuted every 45 years. Post 1800s till today, it's been every generation, every 10 years we've been persecuted. My own great-grandfather passed away in a camp in Ormia during World War I when uh, Armenians were being killed Two thirds of the Assyrian nation was also killed among Greeks and Armenians at that time. My own great grandmother and two of her daughters were kidnapped by the Kurds and massacred and raped. So this is all very new to us. And today, as you see, ISIL is wreaking its havoc. Uh, Prior to ISIL, it was Al-Qaeda, Uh, starting 2003. So this is nothing new to us, but what is puzzling to us is that the world is silent in the 21st century, when we're supposed to be, as humans, so progressive. Mm -hmm. Yet we're silent on this tragedy that is unfolding in front of our eyes.
1: So Juliana, you are an Assyrian Catholic
2: Yes, I am. I was born in Iran uh, to Assyrian parents. Assyrians are also known as Chaldeans and Syriacs. Our history is over 6,700 years. Our country used to be uh, northern part of Iraq, southern Turkey, uh, Lebanon, all the way to Egypt prior to the fall of Assyria in 612 before Christ.
1: And the part that's Nineveh, where, where would that be today?
2: Today's Mosul. In Mosul. fact, Jonah was buried in Mosul, and uh, as we saw about two months ago, his tomb was destroyed by ISIS.
1: You know, it's very important and significant that you're on our program today, Juliana, because when we hear the word Mosul, all we hear about is and think about, if we listen to the news at all, is war, is the fighting. There's a battle for that town, but yet we don't think of it as having a great biblical significance.
2: Yes, the Assyrians are among the first nations who converted to Christianity through St. Thomas. And we took Christianity east to India, to China, to the Philippines. In fact, today you can see relics that are left in China that have Aramaic inscription on them. And I speak Aramaic today. There are about four million of us left who speak Aramaic, the language of Christ.
1: Oh, so that's how the people of India became Christian. They always boast, rightfully so. They're very proud, like our Cyril Malabar friends, Cyril friends. They say that we were evangelized, got a Christianity through St. Thomas. And one of the ways was because the Assyrians brought it east then to India.
2: Yes, yes. St. Thomas converted us, and then we took it to the east.
1: Well, This tragedy that, well, we hear some of it on the news, some of it. We don't hear nearly enough. I'm sure you agree with that. It it would just be too much to take to really know. Describe just a little bit about what these Christians, these Iraqi refugees are experiencing.
2: Yes. uh, From what we hear on the news, majority of it is the political ramification, the military uh, strategies that are being discussed today. And what is not on the forefront or on the radar is the human tragedy, the human aspect of this. The Christians of Iraq, Assyrians, there were about 400,000 left. Father Tom, prior to 2003, we were 1.4, 1.5 million. Today, we have about only 400,000 left. When al-Qaeda started wreaking its havoc on us starting 2004, bombing our churches, beheading our clergy, kidnapping our children, holding them for ransom, crucifying our men. Uh, People started escaping or being killed in Iraq. And today we have about 400,000 left, 200,000 of whom are displaced internally. These are uh, professionals, these are doctors, engineers, teachers, farm owners who now are living on the streets, in churches, at schools, and there are children who are dying today of fever. We had a colleague of ours who went to Iraq and came back with a disease to which he contracted in Iraq. Hmm. And he's still suffering from it. And aid workers are falling ill now because of the rampant illness that is unfolding in Iraq. Hmm. And that is what you're not hearing. And I appreciate you, Father Tom, and others like you who are giving us this platform to raise awareness, of, to shed light on the human aspect of this.
1: Juliana, we've had you on here before over a few years now, and during that time, there was a time when the situation in Iraq was much more before the eyes of Americans. Then after we left Iraq, our military left Iraq after the wars, we considered the wars at the time we thought were over, the attention, the profile of Iraq started to diminish before our eyes. But you kept working, you kept like Jonah, a prophet yourself, a prophetess yourself, you kept before the eyes of, of America, of everyone, in the best way you could, that there was still ongoing tragedy there. Now, with ISIS and the recent events, I think that that profile is once again before our eyes, uh, of the tragedy of in Iraq, and I think that's why it's important for you to be here in our program today. So tell us a little bit about what you do in light of these tragedies.
2: The Iraqi Christian Relief Council is an organization I founded in 2007. Uh, under basically Cardinal Francis George, I asked him what is the Catholic Church doing to raise awareness about, to help the Christians of Iraq and he encouraged me he and the Peace and Justice Office encouraged me to start this organization Hmm. and we've been working tirelessly since then. 2008 we were incorporated, we became 501c3 in 2009. We've traveled throughout the country, we've even gone to Israel and we've ministered about this situation. This is a very small apostolate but we are working really hard, thanks be to God. We're uh, raising money for food, shelter, and medicine. We're sending it to Iraq through Assyrian Aid Society of Iraq, an organization that has been on the ground since uh, 1991 serving the people there, and also through the Dominican Sisters of St. Catherine of Siena. These individuals, these nuns, are displaced themselves, Father Mm. Tom. They were displaced from Karakosh, which used to be heavily populated by Christians. Today is under control of ISIS. And these nuns they're assigned, each nun is assigned to 1,500 internally displaced persons, mm. taking care of 40,000 people.
1: My goodness, I know as a pastor, it's like to minister to a parish, being only a priest, but to have that many people assigned so you know, that are in dire straits physically, you know, they have you other you know, challenges to the, the choirs every of does, but Byzantine municipal the Catholic, Catholic people Church, who are under the direction kind of, of Timothy, district, Timothy Woods,
0: it awesome. is the Illinois. emotional
2: torment this these is people the music have gone you through. hear. Uh, the Unlike physical the need East. that they have. And as some uh, during the sacred liturgy, hungry, at there are many who are sleeping outside. Can you imagine that? It's All winter now, Father, and they're sleeping outside. More, I have which images includes of my fellow Assyrian Christians, more, and Assyrian more, and to to also Yazidis, who are sleeping on gravel. There are men who are sleeping outside on gravel to allow their women, their wives, and their children to sleep on cement. And Holborn, Glen, Illinois, a construction area that is And one. these are
1: not what we consider homeless people. These were people just like any of us. They had jobs. They had professions, right? And, Absolutely. And, uh,
2: Absolutely. You know, there was a man who came to my colleague when she was in Iraq, and he said to her, look, there were two things— that we had. One was our land and one was our dignity. Our land has been taken away from us. Our dignity will never be stripped away. But above all is our faith that remains. And he said, we will go to our grave holding that cross in our hands. Even at the price of death, we will not give up Christ. And these are our modern day Ninevites who Mm. are suffering. These are our modern day martyrs that are giving up their lives for their faith.
1: Well, Juliana, what can we do? What can people do? What can our listeners do?
2: Iraqi Christian Relief Council has a fantastic website and a Facebook page. The Facebook page is Iraqi Christian Relief Council. Please search us. Please like us. Share the word about it. The website is Iraqi iraqichristianrelief.org, iraqichristianrelief.org. Please visit that website. There is a button there that you can use. It says PayPal, but you can use your credit card. If you don't have a PayPal account, we have our address there. You can send us checks. Father Tom, for the last two and a half months, every single dollar that has come has been sent to Iraq. We just gave $50,000 to Sisters of Mm -hmm. St. Catherine of Siena, Mm -hmm. which is going to sustain them for a month. Prior to that, we had given... $145,000 $145,000 to a Syrian aid society. So as soon as the money comes in, we send it to Iraq.
1: We're going to talk more about the plight of Christians, especially in the land of Jonah and the Ninevites with our special guest, Juliana Tamarazi of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. When we return, I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: Annunciation Parish for each theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Willcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you.
1: You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. Our special guest is Juliana Tamarazzi, a good friend here of ours at Light of the East, and she is from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. Juliana, tell us a little bit more about the council. Are, are the people that work for it are they paid? Are they professionals? Or where are they? How many are there? Tell us about it.
2: We're all volunteers, Father Tom.
1: All volunteers. All
2: volunteers. None <laughs> of us are earning income. And a lot of people ask me, "You've dedicated your lives to this. How are you earning an income?" Well. Thanks I mean, there's
1: be- there's no CEO with a six figure income and to- <laughs> no.
2: Thanks be to God. If there was, then nothing would go to Iraq, and that's a, that's blasphemous in my book. Um, so yes, no, we are all volunteers, and in the past ninety two to ninety four percent of our donations have gone to Iraq because we don't get any money for ourselves. The only thing that is funded through the council is if we have to go somewhere that we're not sponsored or our hotel hasn't been paid, then we have to. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the money is sent to Iraq. In fact, within the last two and a half months, um, we sent 100% of donations to Iraq, and that is really unheard of in mm. the world of nonprofit. There was a big church, which I have to thank uh, a great deal. It's called uh, Grace Church Community in New York who collected $102,000 over seven services. And they gave every penny. So that weekend, they did not collect one penny for their own expenses. Mm. And they gave everything to us. And we, in writing, pledged that 100% of that money would go to Iraq, and it did.
1: And how is it getting there? Because it seems to me that even with some of the seemingly most reputable organizations, charity organizations, there's always, you always, invariably, Giuliana, you hear stories about that, it, it gets the money or the goods get intercepted by the wrong people or they get, re, you know, diverted or it becomes a scam or someone else, you know, the bad guys take it over, even though it's well intended, the bad guys take it over. I mean, it, it, it just seems to be so consistent with so many I'm not saying all of them, but so many charities. Even if it's not their fault, They can be you know things happen along the way. How how in the world do you get this aid right to these people?
2: We work with indigenous organizations on Mm. the ground in Iraq. So, for example, the Assyrian Aid Society has a sister organization in Iraq. Assyrian Aid Society is a nonprofit organization based in Berkeley. They also are volunteers, except they have one part-time individual that handles their website and books Mm -hmm. and things like that. So. So a very large portion of the money also from them goes to Iraq. People on the ground in Iraq are volunteers. One of our colleagues who came back, we had sponsored him to go to Iraq, Jeff Gardner. He came back and said, don't ever wonder where your money goes in Iraq. I have seen, he said, that if you give them a dollar, they make that dollar work so hard. Mm. And he was amazed at all the heavy lifting that the and aid society is doing, hmm. and also we have sponsored our sister of um, Saint Catherine of Siena order, mm-hmm. Catholic order, and uh, we've given them uh, money, and they are taking care of forty thousand people, as I've mentioned before, on numerous uh, radio stations. So, um, so we we know who we who to work for. Yesterday, I was on Skype with a Chaldean young man who is living in the basement in this structure. Mm-hmm. And he and his mother and his father were saying hello to me. And he said, Juliana, there's so much money that comes to Iraq, and it doesn't get to us. The medication doesn't get to us. Mm. He said, if the money comes and there's rice that is not expired— they buy us expired rice and they give us expired rice these other big agencies and Mm. he said the Assyrian Aid Society and the nuns that he knows that he works with they are really really working hard to make sure the money that is sent to them they're accountable and we get receipts anyways from these organizations Mm -hmm. we get images and videos and I've worked with the Assyrian Aid Society for the last seven years so I do trust them and they've helped sustain the Assyrian Christian community in Iraq
1: unfortunately We hear in the news many of the people who are being kidnapped by ISIS and even, unfortunately, beheaded at times. We hear that they are, quote-unquote, aid workers. People have gone there to help. Uh, Are your people that you work with, are they uh, they risking their lives?
2: Every individual risks their lives, whoever is in Iraq and is working, because we don't know who is going to come and detonate themselves in Mm. a refugee camp, in an internally displaced persons camp. Mm. So ISIS is not the only enemy. Winter Mm -hmm. today is an enemy. Diseases are the enemy. So our aid workers are falling ill, as I've mentioned before. Um, So the situation there is not only political, but is also humanitarian.
1: Julian, I'm going to read a few excerpts from some messages from some of the church leaders in that area. And also in Turkey, His All Holiness Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew. He released this statement, on the violence in Iraq, and this statement was was released in, in August of this year, and just a few excerpts. He said, the situation in Iraq is especially critical. The humanitarian predicament is more urgent than ever. Our response must be immediate and tangible. Therefore, we appeal to every responsible organization and every person of goodwill beyond any support through perpetual and persistent prayer to assist with material and humanitarian resources so that these innocent victims may no longer endure hunger, suffering, and death. It is our wholehearted hope and fervent prayer that the God of love, worshipped by Jews, Christians, and Muslims alike, may prevail over the false idols of fanaticism and prejudice. And may the compassionate Lord grant peace to all. And also, a few excerpts from a statement by the Mideast Catholic and Orthodox patriarchs who denounced the total international silence, quote-unquote, as you're saying here, Juliana, on the persecution of Christians in the Middle East and called for Muslim religious authorities to issue fatahs, or legal edicts, banning attacks against Christians and other innocents. In the statement, the Catholic Orthodox Patriarch said this, the night of August 6th to the 7th, Iraq's largest Christian town, Karakosh, that's the one you mentioned too, but that's where the sisters were from. Near Mosul, again, you mentioned that, and surrounding villages on the Nineveh Plains fell to the Islamic State, resulting in the exodus of nearly 100,000 Christians. Mosul was captured by Islamic State forces in June, also resulting in an exodus of Christians. Many ethnic Yazidi, squeezed between the Kurds and the advancing Islamic State fighters and the Syrian army, have had to flee their homes in the middle of a punishing Iraqi summer with little but the clothes they wore. You mentioned the winter and the disease, but there's also the hot summer, right?
2: Yes, at the time when they were fleeing, the summer was scorching hot, and a lot of Yazidis were trapped, and they're still trapped on the mountain of Sinjar.
1: Still trapped there.
2: They're still trapped there, yes.
1: Well, the letter goes on to say this. The patriarchs criticized the weak, timid, and inadequate response of Islamic, Arab, and international circles— A stance, they said, does not reflect the seriousness of this phenomenon and its repercussions on the historical demographic diversity of the peoples of the region. We call upon the Arab League, the Organization of the Islamic Conference, the UN Secretary Council, and the International Criminal Court to take swift, effective, and immediate salvaging action, the statement says. We appeal to Islamic authorities, Sunni and Shiite, to issue fatahs banning attacks on Christians and other innocent people and their property, the patriarch said. Noting that Christians have a mission. Now, this is an interesting and a very important point, uh, Juliana, because this is also something that the Vatican, Rome, the popes have asked of the people of the Middle East, but it's a, it's a daunting request, you know, for them. The statement says this, Noting that Christians have a mission to continue in the Middle East, They criticize European nations that, quote, encourage the exodus of Christians ostensibly to protect them, unquote.
2: Thank you, Father Tom, for bringing this very critical point. Look, the Nineveh Plain area is our ancestral homeland. Mm -hmm. We've been wanting to have that land back for thousands of years, and this is our opportunity. In fact, we are asking for internationally protected area to be created Mm -hmm. where us Assyrian Christians, Yazidis, Shabaks, Mandaeans, whoever is persecuted in Iraq could go to this region. We don't want a Christian ghetto. But Nineveh Plain Area, because our lands have been taken even by the Kurds, not only by ISIS, the Kurds have taken our lands away from us. We are asking the UN Security Council to really think about, and we're asking America and the EU to think about giving us the Nineveh Plain back and internationally protected so all these people that are unable to leave Iraq rock, would go there and restart building their lives. These are individuals that want to remain in that country because mm-hmm. they say, we've buried our parents here, our grandparents here, our ancestral bones are here, and we want to stay here.
1: Mm. And the other irony of this too, Janana, is that Islam and those, especially the extremists and those that have a very, very jaundiced, hateful view of Christians, as long as Christians are in the Middle East, living side by side with these people— they get to witness kindness. They get to witness Christ's love, and Absolutely. if as they're driven out, there's no longer that witness. Then, yes, so then it just fans extremism. the extremism. Yes, yes,
2: exactly. When I'll give you an example: if uh, a Muslim child, a Muslim child is dying and is taken care of by a nun who is a nurse, mm-hmm. he's going to think twice when he grows up. To blow himself up against a Christian or blow a a Christian up because he'll remember that a Christian nun had saved him. And still till today, there are Catholic schools throughout the region and Muslims fight one another to get into, to gain this Catholic Mm. religion uh, or be taught by religious Mm. nuns. So the presence of Christianity is very important. There was a man um, who is a Palestinian archbishop And he came to Michigan a few years ago, and this prominent Monsignor was speaking, and he said, just come, come to the West, we will welcome you, Mm -hmm. Western country, Christian countries Mm -hmm. will welcome you. And he stood up and said, with all due respect, Monsignor, Jesus Christ was not born in New York. (laughs) And there's a lot of truth to that. Yes, well said. But there have been, as far as Iraqi Christians are concerned, over a million have left Iraq.
1: It's an incredible thing. What do you do? You don't want to watch your children murdered and killed, just like that, and then yourself, yet at the same time, there has to be that witness, and it is their homeland of centuries and centuries of legacy, of heritage. Well, Juliana, once again, for people to help out, they can go where?
2: IraqiChristianRelief.org iraqi christian our facebook page is iraqi christian relief council if you want us to come in and present our cause this plight to you we will be happy to do that throughout the country um, if you want us to appear on television or radio locally even please please let us know we'll be happy to do so but please donate pray fast donate these three are very very important
1: just as it was in the time of jonah and the ninevites it is today as well Thank you, Juliana, for being on our program. Thank all of you for listening. Please pray. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media.